God, a great big praise in the house. Something's moving. Something's changing. This is a move. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. It's not designed to be a temporary manifestation, but it's designed to be an eternal transformation in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's my prayer tonight that the Holy Ghost will set this place on fire. Now, Holy Ghost fire is not a fire that you want to put out. D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, I just let the Holy Ghost set me on fire and people come just to watch me burn. Is there anybody in the house tonight that would say, Holy Ghost, would you just set me on fire one more time? Give him one more praise before you're seated. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord tonight. Last week, we had an amazing move of God take place in our midst, and God used Brother Ziegler in a great way to minister this body. But how many realize that's something that God wants, it's something that God wants to do every week in his house? And for us to truly experience the vision of what God wants to do in this place, we got to understand it's something he wants to do on a continual basis, that God wants to deposit his glory he doesn't want what we experienced last week to be a once-a-year thing. And tonight I want to talk to you about what the key is to God being able to move like he did last week on a continual basis and not a random basis. Well, we don't have to have a, just a one-day revival, but to where we can break out into a perpetual revival. No more starting and stopping in this house. If we ever want to reach more than just our congregation and reach our region, first of all, it's not contingent upon a certain man. It begins as it did last week with having an expectation. And the key to us having an encounter after encounter with God, for God to do something on a more continuous basis, it's contingent upon us touching God and not God, not God always just touching us. For if we will touch God, you can be assured that God will touch us. He inhabits the praises of his people. He is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's got to be about God and not about a man. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 40 through 48, to a very familiar passage. And I'm going to show you what it means to touch God and how it assures us if we can touch him, he will touch us. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40 through 48, I want to read it to you. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they all were waiting on him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. No man could heal her came behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were there with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee. And sayest thou, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me. For I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And the women, when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. 
She declared unto him for all the people of what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith had made thee whole. Go in peace. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, as I move forward, I want to point out two things right off the bat. Number one, I want to note that Jairus fell at his feet and asked him to touch his daughter who was not there. And the woman with the issue of blood who was in his presence touched the board of the hem of his garment, and she fell at his feet. Now, this passage of Scripture correlates with a message I preached one time on the holies of holies. And I had preached how the process of getting a revelation of who God really is correlates still today how the church operates trying to enter into his presence. That back when the temple was set up, there was the outer court. It's where the sacrifices for sin were made, for repentance. It's where the brazen altar was, where the majority of the people were. People making it to the altar, the place of repenting, but that was as far as many would go and still do today. Just saved and content with it, it's far enough. Never going to the next level, entering to the inner court, where the ministry is. And there, are most, and there are those that go into the inner court, into ministry, who all too often stop there and say, I'm saved, I'm in ministry, and I'm serving God. Yet never pushing on to the next level and to the holies of holies where the glory dwells and to the deep things of God. In the temple, there was the outer court. It's where the majority remained. Then there was the inner court where the ministries dwelled. But then there was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could enter by himself. Only he could go behind the veil. The place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the Shekinah glory was, where the mercy seat was. The place the high priest would go into once a year and make atonement for everyone's sins. The major difference, though, to then and now is, then only the high priest could enter into the Holy Holies. But now, thanks be unto Jesus, our high priest... The veil has been rent, giving us every believer direct access to the throne room of God. To where now we can come boldly before the throne room of God and we can make our petitions known. We don't have to have a priest talk to God for us. We can talk to him all by ourselves now because of what Christ did at Calvary. But the problem is too many of us, even though we have been given this privilege, many are not entering into that holy place. That is the place where the true revelation of who he is is found. If you just stay in the outer court, you'll never know the depth of him. If you just stay in the inner court and do your ministry, you'll, you'll know, you won't know the great things that he is. Not until you get into the holy of holies in that place alone, one-on-one -on -one with God. Knowing who God is more, than, is more than just getting saved. It's making him Lord of your life and serving him with all of your heart. It's committing to having a relationship with him that grows and grows. Now, in saying all that, I want to correlate that information with this passage of scripture I just read. In this passage, we find a woman who got a revelation of who he was. And upon doing so, she pressed in to get into his very presence. She wasn't going to settle for the outer court or the inner court because she knew who he was and what he was capable of doing for her life. In this passage, we see three groups of people. So let's correlate that as well. The crowd, the disciples, and Jesus. Again, reflecting the outer, the inner, and the holy of holies. In this 21st century, we've still got the crowd in the outer court who comes to sing, listen to a sermon, pay their tithes, and go home and feel good about it. we still got the faithful group who volunteer their time to ministry in the inner court. Then the few say, I want all he's got. i got to know all about you. You are the ones who are getting divine revelations and guidance in your walk with him. 
You're pressing in past the crowd, and you're getting along with God and touching God. When having a face-to-face encounter, it will be only you and God. It's the intimate place isn't in the crowd. It's when you're alone with him. It's when you get past the crowd. And this particular day, Jesus is in town. Excuse me. In town, the crowd is thronging him. There's a crowd there. There are his self-proclaimed bodyguards. There are, they are the kind of self-appointed gatekeepers who say who can come and who can't come to Jesus. You know, they were the ones who said the children can't come. And they were the ones who told blind Bartimaeus, you need to shut up. They just kind of self-ordained themselves to be the gatekeepers of the kingdom. And we still do with this issue today in a lot of churches across America. We got gatekeepers who think they can say who can come in and who can't come in. Yet Jesus said, whoever calleth on the name of the Lord could come into the kingdom of God. But even with the crowd and the disciples patrolling, this woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, I'm sure weak in her body, afraid of the crowd and the gatekeepers, found a way somehow to press through the crowd and the gatekeepers and managed to touch Jesus. She wasn't waiting on him to touch her. I'm pretty sure if the crowd, the disciples could have had the opportunity to stop her, especially knowing her condition, I'm sure they would have prohibited her from touching him. I'm sure they would have shouted, get this unclean woman out of here. But they couldn't stop her. And she pressed with all she had, and she touched him. Now, how many know if you really want to get close to God, you cannot let the crowd stop you? See, the crowd's responsible for stopping a lot of things from taking place today. If I were to ask you who on this earth probably knew Jesus better than most, you would say the disciples. Why? Because they spent a lot of time alone with him. This woman presses through, not allowing anyone or anything to stop her. And that's where we must get to. Even in our worship, you can either come in and just sing a song, or you can praise him, or you can worship him. It just depends on how far are you willing to press in. How deep do you want to go? Do you want to touch him? Although there's a crowd, we got to learn how to press through the crowd and get into his presence. And the truth of the matter is, when we leave this place, there's been too many times we've been here, but we really haven't never touched him. Song service was good. The sermon was encouraging. We leave here like we came in. You never got past the outer court. You didn't press in. Upon the woman touching Jesus, he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, everybody's touching you. How can you ask who touched you? And Peter said, this is a crowd. People are thronging you. And you want to ask who touched you? Jesus wasn't asking who touched him with their hands. He was asking who touched him with their faith. Now, hear me now. Your faith is what touches Jesus. Jesus said, you don't get what I'm saying. Somebody touched me because power left out of me. And that's the revelation day. You can touch him and not actually touch him. Hang with me. you got to get this. You can be in the crowd and yet never take hold of him. In the days of the temple, the crowd in the outer court, they knew the presence of God was behind the veil. But yet they were satisfied to stay in the place they were. They were close enough. You can come in here, and you can know the presence of God is here, and you can choose to never enter into it. You can come in here and sing a few songs about him, hear a message about him, and never really touch him. You can come here and leave sick, broken, afflicted, bound, even lost, and going to hell if you never touch him. But when you touch him, you extend your faith. Amen. Now, I thought hard about this passage. A lot of times we read and hear passages like this, and we don't dig into them deep enough to find out the depth and the importance of a passage of Scripture. So I began by asking a lot of questions like, why is it at the beginning of this passage, 
Jairus came to Jesus and needed something from him. And like most normal believers, he told Jesus about his daughter, and he asked him to heal her, to touch her. And Jesus responds to his request and begins to go to where his daughter is at. Yet this woman, however, seeing Jesus on his way to where Jairus' daughter was, she sees this as her opportunity to touch him. This woman said in herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, the border of his garment, I will be healed. She not only said it, but she believed it. I thought, where did she get such an ideal? Now, I'm not talking about her just saying, if I can. Now she was set on touching Jesus at a specific place, the hem, the border of his garment. I also asked, why didn't she just go to Jesus and ask him like Jairus did to touch her? Jesus, I'm sick. I'm bleeding. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've spent all my money. I've been to every doctor. Would you heal me? Would you touch me? No, 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 not her. Why did she think she had to touch his garment? Not only his garment, but in such a specific place, the border. Why couldn't she just be dignified like Jairus and just ask him to touch her? No, no. She wanted to touch him. She said to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Not baby. Not, or there's a good chance I could be. No, she declared, I will be healed. She expressed her faith in it. The answer to my questions were found in Malachi chapter 4, the last verses of the Old Testament. It tells of a prophecy that Malachi writes, and it says these words, To them that fear the Lord, to them the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Who is he talking about? The Son of Righteousness? Talking about the soon coming King, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. You're talking about Jesus. Now I'm fixing to put some things together. To those that fear the Lord, that word fear here is meaning those, to those who respect, those who reverence, who stand in awe of him. Now, I want to go to Numbers where God's speaking to Moses. God tells Moses, now make a commandment for all the sons of Israel that they're to put tassels on the board of the hem of their garments. Why? He said, so that they may remember the Lord in all of his days. So they put these tassels on the border of their garments and they would hang down low. Low to the ground, close to the ground, but they would never touch it. Now, every, each tassel had five knots tied in it, which was very significant. The five knots represented the five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These knots, when displayed, served as a reminder to them when they saw them to remember the law. So as they made their journey after going through the day, whether in the neighborhood or the marketplace or the workplace, the remembrance of the word of the Lord is with them to remind them as well as others. This is equivalent to if we carried our Bibles around all day, how much more would we be reminded of his word and would we remind others? There's a sermon in itself. They reminded themselves of the righteousness of God. But no, in between the five knots were these spaces. And the rabbis taught that these spaces speak to us and remind us of the name of God. These are, there are letters in the divine name of God, Yahweh. In other words, in between the law is his name. But because these Jewish people's eyes were veiled, their understanding was veiled. And they couldn't see the name for the law. They couldn't get a revelation of who he really was because they were so focused on the law. That's all that they could see. That's all they could focus on. They rationalized, if I just keep the law, 
if I just practice it and I keep all the rules and the regulations and the protocols and the traditions and the formalities, it will signal that I know God. That's still what some folks do today. But just knowing protocol and going through formalities and keeping traditions will not mean you know who God is. The law was necessary. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. He didn't come to do away with it. The law is the schoolmaster that brings us to the revelation of our sins. The law taught us of our sins. Paul said, except for the law, I did not know sin. However, the law can save you, but it can teach you you're a sinner in need of a savior. Read the Ten Commandments. In doing so, it will reveal to you you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You're not saved by just keeping the laws. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And God told them to put their tassels on their border of their garments on their kanaf. And that word kanaf means border. On your kanaf, on your garment, put your tassels. Not knowing this, let's go back. Now knowing this, let's go back to Malachi. He said, the son of righteousness would arise... To those who feared the Lord, to those who respect those who reverence him. Now in Numbers, I said the spaces between the knots represent the name of the Lord. So Malachi was saying, whoever can see the law and get a revelation of who he is and fear him, not just see what he does and what he requires, not get caught up in legalism, but look beyond the law and upon the name of the Lord, they will know who he is. Now let's continue. Now Malachi said... To those who fear his name, to them, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Now, here is a tie. What is interesting is the word Malachi uses for wings is the Hebrew word kanaf, which is the same word Moses used for the hem of his garment. So that's what they were taught, that there is healing in his wings, in his kanaf, and the, and the hem of his garment. So Malachi was saying he, Jesus, will arise with healing in his wings, in his kanaf. Declaring healing would be in the border of his garment, his kanaf. Now, we're getting somewhere now. And what happened from that prophecy of Malachi, as it traveled, a messianic message was proclaimed about that when the Messiah comes, there will be healing in the border of his garments, his kanaf, in his wings. So now, knowing all this, let's go back to Luke chapter 8. When I asked why in the world would this woman believe that if she could touch, but just touch the hem of his garment, she would be healed. If she touched his border, if she touched his kanaf, I found my answer. Because she had heard the prophecy and by faith believed it. She had had a revelation that had, been, that had given her faith. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. She heard that in his kanaf, in the border of his garment, is where healing would be. She received a revelation of who he was. That's why she had to press in. That's why she had to touch him. She had a revelation that Jesus was the son of righteousness and that there was healing in his wings, in his kanaf, in the border of his garment. So she said, if I can but just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Because his word says so. That's why you got to know the word and believe the word. That's why when you come to church, you don't come to play around and go through ritualistic motions. Well, you, if you really do, you're going to miss the revelation of who he really is. You're not going to understand he's more than just your savior. That he's your healer, he's your deliverer, he's your provider, he's your strong tower. You need to come to the house of the Lord and hear the word of the Lord. Because I know if I can get a word from the Lord, a revelation of who he is, it unlocks the power of his name. 
And it's then I believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's then I believe that I'm made more than a conqueror. It's then that I believe that I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the words of my testimony. It's then that I believe I'm blessed coming in and going out. It's then I believe his arm's not too short. It's then I believe that even if it's been dead for four days, he can still resurrect it because he is a resurrection and he is alive. See, when I get my mind off of all the do's and the don'ts of Christianity and I quit worrying about being so religiously correct and I get my eyes on him and I see he's in the midst of it all, then I can see that he's Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Then I can see he's Jehovah Nisi, my banner. Then I can see Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Then I can see Jehovah Shalom, the Prince of Peace. When I understand he's the Lord God that healeth thee. It's then, because of my faith, that he's able to release my healing. You won't find out who he really is just hanging out in the outer court with the crowd or in the inner court with the faithful servants. No, no, no. It's when you begin to hide the veil into the holies of holy, when you get into the very presence of his glory, face-to-face, one-on-one, that's when you can touch him. But it's going to take some pressing to get there. Oh, but when you touch him, He'll release his power upon you. See, when she got her revelations of him, by believing the word she heard, she pressed in. She didn't ask nobody if she could. She didn't sit back and see if anybody else was going to. She saw the crowd, but it didn't stop her. It didn't intimidate her. She didn't wait to see if he's going to come by and touch her. She just pressed in and touched him. Past the crowd, the outer court past the disciples, the inner court, into the holy holies, into his very presence, to the specific place where her healing was found. She didn't have to be pressured or begged or encouraged, didn't take a preacher pleading with her and with three altar calls. She was determined, I'm going to get mine. I know what it takes. I know who it takes. I know where to get it, and can't nobody stop me. I spent all I've had. I ain't got nothing left. I've been to every doctor in town. I've worried myself. I've suffered long enough. I don't need no one. I don't care what the crowd thinks. I don't care what the religious leaders think. I need Jesus. I know in whom I believe. He is a son of righteousness. There is healing in his wings, his kanaf, his border. She wasn't dignified about it. She didn't go home and put on a new dress. She didn't go home and put her makeup on. She didn't go get a new hairdo. She didn't wait on that one special song to be sung. No matter of fact, she presses and pushes with all of her might and grabs the hem of his garment. She knew in her heart who he was. This was a no-name woman, only described as a woman with an issue. Anybody in here got an issue? See, my God's not a respecter of persons. She was a broken, poor woman. She had no position. She had no power. She had no authority. She had nothing compared to her peers. It was her circumstance that reduced her down to nothing. Her name's not even mentioned in the Bible. Yet she got a revelation of Jesus is because she heard the word of the Lord. Matter of fact, she gets one of the first revelations of who he is. This was before that day that Peter cried out, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we all applaud Peter for his revelations. But before Peter ever declared it, there was this little, poor, broken, diseased, no-name woman who saw Christ and said, I know who you are. You're the son of righteousness. 
with healing in your wings. I don't know a lot, and I may have some issues. I may have some problems. I may have a past, but I've got a revelation of who you are. There's also something else significant about this woman. It was about how she approached Jesus. It was about the posture that she used when she touched him. You see, them tassels, they hung very low from his border. So if she touched them, the hem of his garment, it would be way down there. Matter of fact, the Bible said, Jesus said, the Pharisees would even elongate their tassels to represent their righteousness to the place where they'd almost drag the ground. So for her to reach out, she would have to be in a posture down here, very low to the ground. And she would have had to press through and reached out. And I thought about that for a moment. You see, down here, there's a whole different perspective. From here, there's a whole different position. From down here, I really don't see the crowd. I really don't care who's looking. My focus is all on the one I'm trying to touch. Now, as I thought about this and, and the posture of this, I began to ask the Lord to speak to me about this posture. Because Jairus and this woman, the one thing they had in common was how they approached his presence. Remember, Jairus comes to Jesus, and he falls down to his feet, and so does this woman. Both of them received a miracle from God, and both of them are prostrate before him. And I began to try to look through her eyes and imagine, as she fell down in this position, what she must have saw. She was no longer worried about the crowd. She was no longer worried about being dignified. From this position, all she could see was the tassels that hung from the border of his garment. Now remember, the knots and the tassels signified the law. So here she is down in this posture, and here's the law staring her in the face. The law that said she could be stoned for what she's doing. She was unclean. She had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had a disease. She was a woman of ill repute. And for her to touch anyone that was not her husband was forbidden. Because she could easily transfer what she had to them. So in doing this, they could stone her to death for what she was doing. That's what the law said that was staring her right in her face. But in between the law, the knots, she saw a name. A name above all names. She knew the word in his wings, border, kanaf, is healing. And here she is reaching for him, and the law says no. So condemnation is there. But she pressed past the law and saw his name Yahweh to where now she saw grace and mercy. His name said to her, I am that I am. His name said, if you need a healing sister, I am your healing. If you need comfort, I am your comfort. If you need deliverance, I am your deliverer. If you need strength, I am your strength. Whatever you have need of, I am. And she trusted in the name of the Lord more than the law. Come on, somebody. And history tells us that anybody who would come and pledge allegiance to a new king or a lord, as someone was called, 
Often they did it by bowing down and taking hold of the tassels of his garment. And by doing that, they pledged their allegiance to the king. When she reached and grabbed his border, she was saying, I know who he is. I know he's my healer, but he's also my king. And I don't want him to only heal me. I want him to be Lord over me. I pledge my allegiance to him. So when she was in that position, the posture of a servant, she was saying, I know who you are, and I know who I am not. You see, in the kingdom, there's only one Lord. Everybody else is a servant, whether they're in the pew or whether they're in the pulpit. That's why we in America have difficulty with kingdom theology, because we like the democratic process that man instituted down here on earth. But you see, in the kingdom, there is no voting. There is no majority rules. There are no committees. There are no lobbying. There is the king, period, whatever he says goes. And if you're not the king, you're a servant. That's why it seems sometimes it's easier for a man or a woman like this woman who has no power, no authority, and has sick and is about to die are often healed over others. Why? Because they have no problem that prevents them from humbling themselves to the posture of a servant and prostrating themselves in the form of a servant. They're broken and they got nothing to lose. He draws nigh to those with a broken and a contrite spirit. He said, in no way will you ever despise them. Are you getting this? Amen. They're not worrying about the crowd. They're not worrying about being dignified. They're not worried about being religiously correct. Pride is not their governing force. See, she hadn't been conditioned by the 21st century American ideology of independence and, the, and democracy, which are good things on this earth, but in the kingdom they don't mean nothing because his ways are above our ways. And his thoughts are above our thoughts. His word is forever settled in heaven. In the kingdom, it's not about what you think or the vote you cast. It's all about what he says. Church, we won't be arguing in heaven over culture. Folks, the throne is not up for grabs. You cannot vote him out of office. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So she falls down, and the word said, to those who fear the name of the Lord, to them there is healing. When she grabs a hold of his garment, she pledges allegiance to him. She wasn't expressing that she was just coming to get a healing. She was expressing, I'm coming to take a hold of my Lord. Verse 47 says, after she touched him, she came trembling and falling down before him, and she declared unto him before all the people, for what cause did she touch him? And how she was immediately healed. It was upon her confession of her knowing who he was that when he said to her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. After she touched him with her faith, he touched her with his power. That's my whole point tonight. She's touched him and in doing so, Jesus said, Power just went out of me. You see, in the medieval times, there were what they called lords and servants in that day. Lords were over territories, just like kings. If you weren't a lord, you were a servant, one or the other. If you lived there, you had no way to protect yourself. 
or do anything for yourself unless you pledge to be a servant to a Lord. The enemy could come against you and you would be defenseless. So in order to protect yourself, you pledge your allegiance to a Lord. When you pledge allegiance to a Lord, it made him responsible for you to protect you. Are you following me now? So if an attack came and someone was to make war against you, someone had to only run into the castle, the Lord's house, and cry out to the Lord and say, I'm under attack and the enemy is trying to destroy me. And it was the Lord's responsibility to defend you. Why? Because the servant had to pledge his allegiance to the Lord. In return, he vowed to protect him. When the enemy messed with you, they were messing with your Lord too. So the Lord, upon hearing your cry, would mount up and call all the knights together. Are you getting this picture yet? Hallelujah. And he and his army would save the day, not allowing any harm to come to his servant. Or if anything was taken from him, he would make the enemy return it. The battle wasn't yours, it was the Lord's. You see, there's something powerful when you call upon your Lord, when you pledge your allegiance to him, that when we cry out, now I'm talking about the Lord of Lords, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Demons flee at the mention of his name. All power was given to him in heaven and on earth. He will protect you. At the sound of your cry, he will come with his army of angels, and he will defend you. You see, when this woman got a revelation of who her Lord was and came into allegiance with him, when she assured, assumed the posture of her servant and made him Lord over her life, he came responsible for her. That when she cried out, Lord, he released his power upon him. Folks, as a child of God, all you got today to do is say, Lord, because the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are safe. There's power in the name of the Lord. And when you ascribe him as Lord and make him Lord, he'll be over everything in your life. He'll be over your finances. He'll be over your health. He'll be over your family. He'll be over your children. It's then he becomes responsible for you. He takes responsibility for your life. He takes responsibilities for your battles. He takes responsibility for your issues. It was David who ran into Goliath that day. Goliath was a big old joker. He was a giant who was well-armed. And do you remember what David said to him? You come to me with a shield and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. All you see, you big goon, is a little old ruddy boy, but what you don't see is I've allied, I've allied myself with heaven, and when you mess with me, you're messing with my Lord, the one I pledged my allegiance to, and that very day God gave him victory over his enemy. I tell you, things happen when you know who he is. He's your very present help in times of trouble. When you pledge allegiance to Christ, everything he has access to, you have access to. All the resources of heaven are yours when you know him. When you call upon his name. When you don't mind getting down low and saying, not my will, but thy will be done. And say, God, it's not about me anymore. I'm just a servant boy who wants to serve you. Then Jesus vows in return to you, if you'll serve me, I'll be responsible for you. I'll save you. I'll heal you. I'll deliver you. I'll provide for you. And I will protect you from your enemy. Amen. To them that fear, respect the name of the Lord, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Amen. When you call him Lord, the kingdom comes upon you. 
When trials and tribulations and afflictions come, call upon the name of the Lord, and you will have access to his power. Wherever the king is is where the kingdom is. She touched him in such a way that he released his power to her, and she fell at his feet and touched him. In the Greek, I like it better. It says she actually grabbed a hold of him. In return, he took responsibility for her and said, your faith has made you whole. Folks, everything we experience here on earth, the manifestations, the demonstrations of his power are all a foretaste of things to come in heaven, healing and deliverance and provision. Just a glimpse here, but forever in eternity where there's no more sickness, nor sorrow, nor pain ever exposed to your life again. And when God releases his power here on earth, it's a glimpse of heaven. So pledge allegiance to him, grab a hold of him, and touch him. Whatever you make him lord over, he's responsible for. And that's when you can say, the battle's not mine, it's the Lord's. And she grabbed a hold of him saying, I'm not letting go until something changes. And I've come tonight to simply tell you, there's healing in his wings tonight. Emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. Why? For the son of righteousness is here and there is healing in his wings. A lot of people need his touch. And God sent me tonight to tell you something, though. As much as you need him to touch you, you need to touch him. Is there definitely a difference? Yes, that was my assignment tonight. To show the importance of you touching him. Now, we like him touching us a whole lot better than us touching him. It requires a whole lot more for us to touch him. We have to press in and we have to pursue him. But in doing so, he realizes he releases his power upon us. Stats say that 87% of church members describe their churches as dead spiritually. Why? Because they do not enter into the presence of the Lord. They come week after week. And if God chooses to touch them, that's okay. If not, that's okay. But I've come to tell this church, his presence is here. And if we wanted to stay here, we got to fear him, reverence him, and touch him. How do we touch him? When we respond to his presence. When we see it, when we feel it, this is a move. You respond by faith, and your faith in return touches him. Can I have my positions come, please? Would you stand with me? In John chapter 5, it says in Jerusalem, there was a pool by the sheep gate. And at this pool was gathered a multitude a sick folk. In other words, a multitude of people with issues. And the Bible says that at a certain season, God would send an angel of the Lord down into the water and trouble it. And whoever got in the water first got healed. By this pool laid a man who had an issue for 38 years. Jesus, upon seeing him, goes and sees the man. And he proposes a question to this man who was sitting, just sitting there, watching 
the move, the presence of God move. Watching God stir the waters. And Jesus asking, don't you want to be made whole? And the man replies, I don't have no man to put me into his presence. And Jesus touched the man to show him he don't need a man to put him in the presence of God. And Jesus healed him. And this is what we're dealing with in the church today. In many churches, God's moving, His presence, and we're sitting there in our issues, and we're simply just watching Him move. You know, there's a lot of people who aren't here tonight who were here last Sunday night. That's okay. You know why? They were just part of the crowd. The crowd I spoke of. They were just part of the crowd that thronged him. They were just the ones who wanted to come and ask a man to put him in the presence of God. I want to tell you something. They were more interested in a man stirring them They didn't understand. As great as the man was, a godly man, it's still God who stirs the water. It's still God who moves the water. It's still God who heals. And what's happening all too often in the church, many are sitting back and are not moving when God's moving. But I want to tell you something tonight. This isn't the crowd. This is his servants. In this room tonight are people who want to know him. In this, crowd, in this, in this room tonight are people who want to know more of him. In this room tonight are people who want to go deeper to know who he is. In this room tonight are servants who respond to altar calls by faith. And when they respond by faith, it touches God. Your faith is what pleases God. So in return, you can be assured God's going to touch you. Give me a couple of men right here. Come here, Bill. Stand right here for a minute. Come here, brother. Stand right here by Bill. Come here, stand by Bill. Face me. Stand right there by. Stand right there. And what God is saying to this body, if we want to see this thing continue, see, we have folks sitting in the pews with issues. And for some reason, they think when the man leaves, God leaves. I remember 22 years ago when I came in to, to the, the body of Christ, there were revivals all the time. 
We had revivals and revivals. Some of them would last three days, sometimes seven days. But I've seen that dry up. And I believe it was because God's tired of seeing man get all the glory and God not get the glory. I think he's tired of people believing that a man can get you, take you into his presence. So they sit there with these issues and the man comes by and, and they had revival and then the man would leave and then they'd sit six months, a year to whenever the man came. Those people that left, they'll be back when the man comes back. But we don't let that stop us. Because if you want to see this place as the pastor preached today, you want to see him come back? Then let's just keep touching God. And this place is going to explode. And then they're going to come to a knowledge and learn it didn't have a thing to do with a man. It came to have to do with God's presence being in this place. And we need to go and declare there is bread back in the house of God. That the glory of the Lord is in this place. His presence in this place. And that God is touching. And God is healing. And God is delivering. And those folks that are sitting back here and you got issues tonight. I want to tell you something. You've got to respond to this altar call, to every altar call. Why? Because it expresses your faith, and you touch God when you respond. You've got to get up out of your seat. When you see the presence of God moving, and you feel the presence of God moving, you've got to respond to the altar. Ain't nobody telling you in this place that you can't respond to an altar call. Ain't nobody in this place telling you to sit down and shut up. No, not in this place, because God rules this place. This is God's house in this place, and we under His authority, and God wants those people to come to Him and express their faith, and as you come and express your faith, you're touching God to where when you got issues you come and you don't let nobody stand in your way and you press through and you keep on pressing you keep on praying you keep on saying this is the presence of the Lord and in this place I will respond by faith to the presence of the Lord all over this house tonight I'm fixing to make an altar call and if you want to touch God, if you still didn't get what I was saying in the message, you touch God by responding, by faith. See, there's people that come, and they respond, but they don't come in faith. They come in need. And there's a difference when you come in faith. She had heard about this man called Jesus. And she wanted to touch him. She didn't have nothing left. She didn't have nothing else to lose. She was down as low as she could go. But when she touched Jesus, he said, your faith has made you whole. And I know in this place tonight, there's people, we've got issues, life issues. There's some sick, afflicted people. I believe God wants to heal you tonight if you'll come and touch him. I believe God wants to deliver you if you'll come and touch him. I believe God wants to help you with your issues if you'll come and touch him. Brother Miller and Sister Jenny, I'd like for you to come here. Brother Zach, you come with me. Sister Rhonda and Sister Melody, you come right over here.
Lift up your hands, church. Begin to worship. He's here. His presence is here. The word has been spoken. Your faith has been encouraged. Come on, worship him. Now I'm going to ask this whole congregation, if you're here and you got an issue, I'm going to ask you to respond by faith and come to this altar. And we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray for you, for God to touch you. And as you come, your faith is going to touch God.
Champion's not dead here 